So we're in chapter one. We're going to finish this great chapter. So if you take your Bibles or your Bible app and go to chapter one, verses 15 down to verse 23, and this will end chapter one together. We have probably about 15 more messages in the book of Ephesians, and I pray that you would come each and every week asking the Holy Spirit to give you, as Paul would call that, uh, eyes of understanding or enlightening the heart. We need that enlightenment as we get into the scripture. So God, again, we continue to pray for this word of God. It is living and it is sharp. It's powerful. It's like a two-edged sword. And we certainly want to pray for Puerto Rico and ask that you would have mercy on that island. We pray against all of the paganism and all of the witchcraft and all of the things that are the corruption that is in Puerto Rico and leadership. We pray against that, Lord. Again, we pray for mercy on the island. We pray for massive revival. We just pray for the gospel to go down there and just uh, do incredible things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And listen, too, if you have prayer requests because you're carrying some heavy stuff, it's not just for the QR code. It's let us know here in the moment. Let us know how we can pray for you during a song. Get out of your chair. Go pray over somebody. If you know that you're, they're struggling, go, go to them. Ask them to pray. I've titled this series in our book of Ephesians, Resolute, Determined to Live Like a Disciple. That's the title of the book that we're looking at. And so are you a resolute person? Are you a determined person? I like the term disciple more than Christian. Uh, If you look at your scriptures, you'll see that disciple is the one that is used more so than the word Christian. So I like disciple, follower. You're a learner. You're a continuous learner. You want to be next to the Lord of glory, and you want him to show you how to live your life. This is what it means to be a disciple that you're going to be an apprentice under him, that you're going to be a mentee. (laughs) Jesus, help me to follow you. I want to be a disciple. Are you determined to live like that? Are you resolute? How resolute are you in living the Christian life? Now, I've titled this section that we're going to conclude in chapter one, How to Express and Encourage Other People. That's what I'm going to title it. So I want you to follow with me through this text. And if you had an, an outline, given to you as you walked in the worship center, then you're going to know where we're going, and it might help you to jot some notes down as we go through some of these verses. Paul is in Ephesus, and he is uh, loving these people. In fact, uh, I don't know of any other pastor in Scripture who would have loved his people any more than the Apostle Paul. He's in Ephesus for three years, and then he leaves. And if you would, just really quickly, before we look at our text, go to Acts chapter 20, because he's having a conversation with the elders or the leadership in this great church. And at the end of chapter 20, and if you look at verse 36, you'll see it says, and when he had said these things, being the elders or the leadership of the Ephesian church, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Verse 37 of chapter 20 of Acts says, and there was such weeping on the part of all, they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. And there's the reaction of the Ephesian church to the Apostle Paul, their pastor, for three years. There's massive weeping going on. They love this man. This is a man who loved them, took care of them, preached the word of God to them. Now he's leaving, and they're obviously brokenhearted over that, and he moves on. Well, he eventually made his way to Rome for the gospel's sake, and as you know, he was imprisoned in the Mamertine prison. And so he is there for the gospel's sake. And he is uh, understanding what it means to be a Christian in perilous times. He's understanding what it means to be a Christian or resolute, a determined disciple, to live like a disciple in any environment. 
And man, that is a, just a good word for us as you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, how much of an example he is. As he's writing this letter, and it's a circular little letter, it's not just going to the church in Ephesus, because that's not in the original manuscripts in Ephesus, and so it's probably being sent to Colossae, and it's probably being sent to all these other areas in Asia Minor. It's a circular letter. So the Ephesians would get this letter. Can you imagine being in a house church, because that's the way it worked back then? Can you imagine being in this house church, and all of a sudden the letter from Paul comes? It's here. It's here. Can you imagine the excitement that these believers would have as they open the, the word of God, inspired through the Apostle Paul, and they're looking at Ephesians? Well, we look at Ephesians now, all these centuries later, we have a tendency to kind of go, oh, that's just the book of the Bible. You know, but for them, for those believers, it was just like, this is living word. This is, this is powerful. This is like food for my soul. I mean, we go to different countries, and you see people that don't have the word of God as plenteous as we do. And man, every time the word of God is preached to them, they are looking forward to it. It is food for them. And is it food for you? Is it when you look at the word of God, is it like, man, this is what I need. I need this more than anything. Not so that you can put knowledge in your brain, but that you can have it applied inside of your heart and your life so that you can be a disciple. You can be a follower. You can be a liver of the gospel so that other people will watch you and hopefully be impacted by your life. So here's Paul. The Ephesians are, are brokenhearted. He leaves Ephesus, and he moves on to Rome, writes the book of Ephesians. And obviously, we've already looked at the first, what, 14 verses together. So verses 1 and 2 was a salutation. It was an a greeting. And in the greeting, we saw that we need to be radically changed by Jesus Christ. Paul was once who? What was his name? He got a name change. Uh, some people change their name because they're embarrassed of their name or whatever. Paul got a name change because Jesus changed his life. And he was radically transformed. So you start with that. If you're not radically transformed with Jesus, by Jesus Christ, then the whole book of Ephesians is going to make sense to you. It's not even going to matter to you. Because Jesus hasn't come in and gripped your heart. He hasn't come in and transformed you. So that's where you would start, and we saw that Paul's life was transformed. We saw that he was an apostle. He was called of God to be an apostle, and then it was to the saints or the Christians. We're all saints. Did you know that? I'm St. Christopher. You can call me St. Christopher if you want. But that's, that, that's nothing about the, the veneration of people through the Catholic system. What they did was wrong, and they're elevating. Maybe their intention was their motive. I don't know what their motive was, but to elevate people to celebrity status or sainthood and say that Dennis Hewing is more righteous than everybody else. I know that he thinks he's more righteous than the rest of us, right? I'm just kidding. But it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. He's not a saint any more than I'm a saint. We're all saints together. You know, we're Christians. That's what Paul was saying. We're, we're radically committed. That's what he was going at in the first two verses. We're radically committed to Jesus. Are you radically committed to him? I mean, do you want him? Do you want to follow him? Do you want to live for his glory? And if your things are coming against you right now, you know, you're going to make it through that because Jesus is with you and you love him and you want to be committed to him no matter what the circumstance. Listen, if your circumstances are hard and your commitment level goes down or non-existent, man, are you really born again? Have you been radically changed by him? I've known so many people that went AWOL in the Christian life. Man, they made a profession. The first guy I ever baptized, he made a profession. I prayed with him baptized him, dunked him. I, he was dunked all the way under. I mean, his head was all the way down. He was under the water, making it legit, <laughs> right? And then he went AWOL. He went agnostic, ended up in prison. I saw him at a courthouse one time. I said, what happened to you? This is years later. It was like, was he really radically changed by Jesus? He just got wet that day. That's all I did. He got wet that day. He wasn't committed to the Lord. Anyway. That's, that's all review. We're going to be here for three hours trying to make it through the rest of the verses. 
So then Paul goes through verses 3 down to verse 14. Man, these are just glorious verses. This is, this is Paul looking out and getting the revelation of the Lord. And it's like that view of the Grand Canyon. I've been using that since we started. It's just he's there, and it's spectacular. He's looking at the glories of heaven. He's looking at salvation and what it is and what God did and how Jesus positioned us in him and, and how we're in the body of Christ. And, and it's just amazing what Paul is seeing there. Yeah, we had uh, harvest groups this past week, and we were talking about election and predestination. And you know what? That shouldn't be an argument in the Christian church, but it is. It wasn't in our harvest group. We were edifying one another. We were like, man, God chose me before the foundation of the world. I've been selected. I've been saved. I've been redeemed by him. And then I've been given an inheritance. I'm next in line. We had a great conversation around that. It didn't become an argument, but I've been in arguments around pastors that are debating this and debating that, and it couldn't happen. What do you mean Jesus selected me and didn't select? No, 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 we're not into an argument at Harvest about election and predestination or how God selected us. We're just looking at it and going, wow, that's glorious. Isn't that how you want to look at it? You're looking at that and you're going, this is spectacular, this view of salvation. And that's what Paul's doing. He's going through all of those verses, and we looked at those last Lord's Day. It's just amazing, it's marvelous, it's beautiful. And, but then he transitions into the text that we're gonna look at and he wants to go to prayer. He's gonna pray for the Ephesians to get a grasp on what he just said in three to 14. You see, it's about the Holy Spirit, church. Listen, it's about the Holy Spirit giving you a revelation. We would call that maybe an illumination. It's an aha moment. You ever had an aha moment before? Everybody have that? Anybody? You're like, I didn't see that before, wow, you know? You're looking at a text of scripture and you're like, I, I read that, I don't know, 10, 15 times, but now that's illumination. Spirit of God needs to take verses three to 14, Paul says. He's gonna go to the prayer and he's gonna say to God, God, would you take your Holy Spirit and just bring this to the people? You could call it a quickening of the Spirit of God. You could call it a baptism of the Spirit of God. I like that one where the Spirit comes down and is outpouring on somebody and then causing somebody to be able to see salvation and election and predestination and redemption and inheritance. That's what he's going at. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. You think you opened your own eyes when it came to your salvation? You didn't open your own eyes. Who opened them? The Spirit of the living God did that. The Spirit said, this is the time. I'm gonna open their eyes, turn their heart, and you went, yes. Jesus, come into my life. And so Paul's praying for this revelation, this light bulb moment, it goes on. And he talks about the position that we have in Christ. He's talking about position. Now we have to learn how to play the position, right? He's talking about all of this about salvation. This is your position in Jesus, and now how are you gonna play that position? When I was, in, when I was young, I was a baseball player. I loved baseball, and I was a pitcher, and they taught me how to pitch, and I also played shortstop. I knew my position, and I tried to play my position well. Has anybody ever done athletics before? Raise your hand. Athletics, right? You got positions, and then you learn how to play the position. That's what Paul's saying. Here's your position in Christ. Now you got to learn how to play it. Well, we had people on our team. They had the position. They, they, they might have had it in their mind, but they didn't know how to play the position, we had outfielders. I don't know what they were doing out there, but the game was going on, and they're chasing butterflies and picking dandelions and picking their nose and everything else. They're not playing their position. Listen, when you have 
when you're in Christ and Christ is in you and you're redeemed and you're born again, that's who you are in Christ. That's your position. And then he wants to, Paul wants to say, listen, you gotta know how to play that position. You gotta know how to go on beyond that. And so he lifts up this wonderful prayer and he's saying, God, Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes? Would you help them to understand what I just said about election and predestination and redemption and inheritance? Holy Spirit, would you do that? Do you know you need the Holy Spirit? Does anybody know you need the Holy Spirit? I can't tell you how many times in the last three years I've heard Christians say, I don't know who the Holy Spirit is. I've never been taught by, by anybody about the Spirit of the living God. How is it that you got the Father and the Son, but you didn't get the Spirit? It's a trinity. Were the people afraid of becoming charismatic? I'm telling you, the charismatic has something on us. They do when it comes to the Spirit of the living God. Look over that fence. I've looked over that fence years ago. I was like, what's going on over there? It's kind of weird because they raise their hands and they're saying this stuff out of their mouth and it just doesn't make any sense. That must be of the devil. No. Not at all. I wasn't taught by leaders about the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Every time you come to church, you need the Spirit of the living God to open your eyes to the truth of the Word of God, right? Don't you need that right now? You need the Holy Spirit working right now. Open your eyes and your ears and helping you to go, aha, light bulb. That's what that verse is talking about. I can remember years ago, I was in college and I was on semester break and I would come home. This was up in Massachusetts and I was living with a friend of mine. This was before I was married and going to a church and I went to the pastor and I said, pastor, I just want to keep growing. I, just want, I was a new believer at the time. I just want to keep learning. I want to be a disciple. I just want you to help me. Could you help me? And and I went into his office, and I opened this door to his office, and he had this wall full of John MacArthur tapes. Ever heard of John MacArthur? Anybody? Bible teacher? I had heard John MacArthur in college, and I was sitting there in the seventh row at Thomas Road Baptist Church, and John MacArthur is up there preaching, and it was like the Spirit of God spoke to me. He says, this is what I want you to do. And I said, this is what I want to do one day as a result of John MacArthur preaching. So when I saw those tapes, I was like, I was like this is a God moment. And I said, do you mind if I... If I borrow these, and I went through the whole New Testament with John MacArthur, and I would study six hours every day. I was working in a glass company at the time. It was a horrible job. Hated every minute of it. Second shift, and so I would wake up in the morning, and I would, I would start studying the New Testament for hours, and I would just cry. Tears would fall off of under the pages because I loved the word. of. But here's what I did. I said, Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes to the truth of what John MacArthur is saying? See, it takes the Holy Spirit doing that. I can remember just from the very beginning. I mean, I just wasn't much of a reader. Uh, the first book I ever read was The Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, how, how deep is that, right? That was my first book. And then after that, it was a Christian book, and it was The Hiding Place, The Life Story of Corey Temblin. But, but then since that time, it's like books. I need books. I want to read. I want to learn. But every book that I've ever had, this is what I pray, God, Holy Spirit, help me to understand Give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you have in this text, in this book, with the author. Every single book in the last 20 years, that's what I've prayed before I read a book. Can I encourage you to do that? Because you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's praying here. So let's go inside of the passages that we've looked at, or we're going to look at, and 
How do you express and encourage others? Because he does that in and through these verses, and it's wonderful. It's application. It's practical. How important it is for believers to do that today, to express yourself. Can I ask you, are you an expressive person? Andy Ortiz is an expressive person. You're saying, because he's Puerto Rican. That's what they do, you know? Well, you know, he might have some natural tendencies to be more expressive, but I think all of us should be expressive. When my wife first met me, she goes, you're a freak. She goes, you're, you're a weirdo. What's wrong with you? And the reason why she said that is because I was so socially awkward. I didn't talk to anybody. So if I would have walked into this room back then at 20 years old when we first met, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have talked to you because you're scary to me. And I kept really to myself. And she would try to get conversation going with me. And she's like, what is up with this guy? I know. It's not a cultural thing. It's not a personality thing. It might be a trauma thing because we went, I went through some trauma and it made me close up. I got scared. People became, it could be that, and I'm not saying we're not downplaying that, but listen, you don't stay there. You got to be expressive. You got to get out. You got to open up. You got you to express yourself to other people. And then you got to learn how to encourage one another. So let's look at this. I want to go into this text of Scripture. Number one, it's a very simple outline. Number one, we'll look at the expression, verses 15 and 16. Number two, we'll look at the encouragement, 17 down to the end of the chapter. So verses 15 and 16, Paul writes one long sentence. You remember he did that in verses 3 to 14. It's a run-on sentence. I guess you would put it in English terms, but he's just so, just so excited. He's caught up in the glories of salvation. Now he gets all caught up in his prayer for the Ephesian Christians Again, that they would understand and grasp the truths that he's saying, not just in 3 to 14, but the rest of the book. And so he starts praying. But I want you to see something here because he's expressing himself towards the people that he loves. This is what he does. So look at verse 15. What's it say? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, when you see Paul expressing himself, you see him do it in Philippians, you see him do it in Colossians, you see it do, him doing it to Timothy, his young mentee. So Paul gets to the place in his life. Now, remember, Paul is a bad dude in the book of Acts. He's a murderer. He might have that caloric personality, that one that just steps on everybody, doesn't care about you. But Jesus changes him, and he becomes Paul. And now the man who probably didn't care about expressing himself other than rage to you, now he's expressive with this word and he's loving and he's affectionate and he lets people know how he's feeling inside and what they mean to him. This is what he's doing. I love this about the apostle Paul and how he's been changed. He's an expressive man. He verbalizes it. And I think it's important for us to understand that because you're gonna say, well, <laughs> that's just not who I am. That's just not who I am. I wasn't raised like that. You see, my dad never talked to anybody. And I just became like my dad. And so he came home from work. He just sat there, ate his potato chips, drank his beer, and watched TV all the time. And I just became like him. Well, don't stay there. Jesus changes us so that we can become more expressive. That's important. I'm going to tell you it's important because you're going to have a word for somebody one day. 
And if you can't go up to their space and get in their face lovingly and give that word, then you're not fulfilling what God has for you. You're saying, but that's not who I am. I'm too shy. Well, the Bible says that we should be expressing ourselves and encouraging. Well, this is Paul. He says, for this reason, verse 15. He's going back to the text that he gave us in 3 to 14 about the glories of salvation. So for this reason, now he's going to give an explanation, and he's going to do it through his prayers. He's going to pray for the Ephesians. And in this prayer, we're going to see what it means to express. So watch the outline. It's a super simple outline. When we express to other people, you'll see it manifested in three ways here. Here's letter A. He's interested in somebody. He's interested in somebody. He says about them, I have heard of your faith. Now, he's in the Mamertine prison. It's a Roman prison. He does have some freedoms, and people are allowed to come and go and visit him. So people are coming into the prison as he's there in Rome, and he's, he's doing what? He's asking questions. He's finding out from these believers how the Christians are doing in Colossae and how they're doing in Thessalonica and how they're doing over in Ephesus. And I have heard of your faith. I have, how did he hear of their faith? Was he passively just sitting there waiting for this person to initiate conversation? No, he's moving towards them. And he's asking questions. Why? Because he's interested in them. He's interested in those people because he loves them. I have heard. I had a lady come up to me a couple weeks ago in church, after church, and she said, how are you doing? You seem like you're doing better, right? Hallelujah, thank you for that. How did I receive that? I felt what? Like she was interested in my life, right? She was expressing herself verbally, how are you doing? I have heard. Or she was watching my life, and she knew that I was going through some stuff. She was picking up on some stuff. And she wanted to move into my space, which is cool. Come into my space. I'm okay with that. And just show that you're interested in my life. Isn't that important? Have you ever felt like you were forgotten? Have you ever felt like you were invisible? That nobody cared that you were all alone in this world? Paul doesn't want people to feel that way. He's interested in them. I haven't forgotten about you. I'm here in Rome. Rome, I can't be next to you. I think one of the greatest pains in life is to feel like nobody's interested in you. Let me ask you, uh, do you express yourself with words? Is it a text of scripture? Is it a text on your phone? Do you, do you, do, do you write a card? Do you help somebody out? That's expressing interest in someone else's life. Can I go back to Dennis Hewing? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna highlight some people here. It's not to make them feel embarrassed or anything like that. But I have heard of Dennis Hewing. And somebody said something about Dennis. Dennis went out of his way Friday night to help move a piece of furniture up three flights of stairs. He's expressing himself. He's showing interest in another person. And I'm telling you, it was effective. When I first moved here, there was a couple that came to the apartment that I was moving into. I had never met them in all of my life, John and Robin Houston. They showed up, and they helped me and my wife take furniture up three flights of stairs. Thank you, Robin. I don't see John. He must be in security or somewhere. They showed interest in me. 
They express themselves. Do you see how important this is? Can you imagine if I showed up in Reading to move all my stuff and nobody showed? How would that make me feel, my wife? So when I said goodbye to Robin and John, I remember it like it was yesterday. I peeked my head into the car and I said, thank you so much for coming and showing up. Showing interest is important. Hey, listen, if you want to keep your marriage <laughs> for the long haul, you better show some interest, guys, in your wife. Right? So my wife went to Chicago this past week to visit a friend out there. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? And they got to listen. You got to listen. I am not, I have not been the most expressive person in my, in, so I, I get it. I get it if you're not expressive. I totally get it. So don't say to me sometime in an email or face-to-face, you just don't get it. You don't know. Who. No, no, I get it. I've been there, done that. And I was really, really bad at expressing myself and showing interest in Lisa for a long time. We've had many of uh, arguments, you would say. Her saying, Chris, I mean, I feel like you don't notice me. So when she went away to Chicago, I'm missing her. I've grown just a little bit. i got so much more to go. And I was missing her, and I'm texting her my little bitmojis. You know what a bitmoji is? You know, the guy that looks like you. It looks like me, and I'm like, I love you, I love you, I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to you're back. But when I was going to pick her up at the airport, you know what I did? I went and got some flowers for her and a card and a balloon that said, welcome back. And then when she got into the car, I picked her up at the curbside there at the airport, and she got in. That's the first thing. You know what she did? She gave me a big kiss. It was awesome. We got to show interest in people. And if you want your marriage to be stronger, guys, you got to do something. Ladies, you got to express yourself to your man. Paul's so good at it. It's building relationship change. Can I just brag on another person, Dave Green? I saw it happen. I saw it happen in a harvest group. I said, oh, he's going to make the message. He's going to make the sermon. He's an illustration. And he's standing next to me, and we're having food at the end of our group. And Dave Green all of a sudden starts verbalizing how he feels about another couple that's been new to the church and new to our group. I'm sitting down looking up at him. I'm going like, this is awesome. That's what it's all about right there. Made that couple feel really good. I saw the look on their face. Interested. Here's another one, intentionality. It's letter B, intentionality. Paul said, I do not cease, look at it, I do not cease to give thanks. Paul is moving towards them. He's assertive. He wants this relationship to continue to be stronger. This is what, this is what Dave did, did. He was intentional. He made a choice somewhere along the line that night. I don't know when he did. Dennis Hewing made a choice to be intentional. And I'm so glad that they did. And I'm sure the people that they helped are glad that they did. Expressing ourselves. It's a manifestation of what a disciple looks like. There's this intentionality. You're moving towards a person. You're opening yourself up. Your countenance opens up to them. You say hi first. You're not waiting for somebody else to say hi to you. You're making eye contact with them. You're sending the message that the other person matters to you. It's intentionality. Got to brag on Mallory. 
I'm not going around spying on everybody. I just want you to know that, right? I just pick up on stuff. And I'm shaking hands at the front door about two Sundays ago, and all of a sudden I look in the lobby, and I see Mallory, and her eyes are closed. And I'm like, what was she doing in there? And she's laying hands on and praying over another lady that's going through some, some tough times. That's intentionality. That's expression. Somehow, she was thinking the Spirit of the Lord's moving on her, and she's getting these thoughts, these desires. She's moving towards this lady, and she says, can I pray for you? And she lays hands on her. That's what it's all about. That's the church. And when I see stuff like that as a leader, that just makes me think, you know what? This is incredible. This is incredible. Here's the letter C. It's interceding. So Paul obviously is interceding. That means praying. Remembering you in my prayers, he says to the Ephesians. It's amazing when somebody will say to me, I get a text from a pastor friend. I got one from a guy, a friend of mine, Vinny Capetta. He's up in Massachusetts, and Vinny was saying, what can I pray for you for? I say, would you pray that the eyes of my understanding in and through Ephesians would open up, that our people would experience that? Vinny, would you do that? But he's the one to initiate that to me. That, made, that was interesting. He was interested in me, right? He was intentional, and now he's interceding for me and us. What does that do for Vinny and my relationship? I would say that builds it, Right? That's what Paul wants to do with Ephesians. And this is what he's doing. He's expressing himself. Can I ask you another question? It's very similar to the one I said at the front end of this message. How well are you expressing yourself? I'm expressing myself right now in preaching. Am I not? Yes or no? I took an English class at Liberty University, and it was public speaking. Terrified me. But I knew. I needed to express myself. I knew that I needed to come out of wherever that place was. And this is my encouragement for you. Come out of that place, whatever it is. You were hurt. You don't trust people. You think it's your personality. You think it's the culture. You think it's your family. You think it's whatever. Come out of that. So we all have many faces of expression, <laughs> Right? So I'm looking at your expressions right now. What do I see? When a preacher preaches, now everybody's going to sit up a little bit because you know that I'm coming in on you, right? I'm coming in on your space right now. And so everybody has expressions. Sometimes when I'm crusty, does anybody get crusty here? I get ornery. My wife thinks, what's wrong with you? Nothing, you know? But my expression is like I'm, my eyes are furled and I'm just like walking around a house like this, you know, or... I'm in a store, and we separate and go different ways, you know, and I come walking down the aisle. I'm like, I got this expression on my face, and she's like, what's wrong with you? You look awful. What do you mean? Everybody has expressions. Open up our countenance. I was preaching last Sunday, and man, the expression on one of these guys' face, I'm not going to call them out, was awesome. They were like this. That's a good preaching expression for the preacher to watch that. Now, I preached a lot of messages through the years. And some expressions are like, and they're like sleeping. That's not very encouraging, that expression. We all walk through life expressing ourselves. But how do you express yourself? How do you do it? I think it's important we do it like the Apostle Paul. All right, let's talk about encouragement. Let's talk about encouragement. This is number two. 
verses 17 down to verse 23. I want to see what Paul prays here, and then I'm going to go through some, some points, and then we'll be finished the first chapter. Let me ask you, have you ever been around somebody that was so discouraging it was just incredible? I mean, they're just like life suckers. They just drain the life right out of you. I'm hearing some groanings. Is that, is that, uh, <laughs> I hear a groan in the church. Listen, when we get next to people, they need to be encouragers. I hope that I'm an encouragement to you. My Fridays, I try to do that Harvest News. I try to encourage you. I mean, I speak truth, and sometimes the truth will sting. But that just means I love you. It doesn't mean I'm mad at you. So my encouragement might be direct, and it might be, you know, to the point, and I'm in your space, and some people don't like for me to be in your space. And, but if I didn't get in your space, then I really wouldn't care about you. So people are discouraging. They zap the strength out of you, like kryptonite to Superman. I found, and this is my observation, a long time as a Christian, a long time as a Christian leader, that encouragement is hard to find in the Christian church. You know it's hard to find in the realm of, of pastors? I, found that, I find that pastors are having a hard time encouraging one another. What's up with that? Encouragement is hard to find. So let's look at verses 17 down to verse 23, and we'll see what it means to be an encourager, and Paul does this, and hopefully this will be helpful. There's a transition word, that. You'll see it there in the text. It's used two times. It's also used in verse 20. It's a transitional word, and he really, he's, he's dividing up his thoughts, and he's going to explain what he has just said. He's going to transition into a thought to give some explanation as to what he is trying to say. So whenever you want to try to understand or principalize or put in a message together, you look for certain words like that or but or for. So that might be an encouragement to you right there for Bible study. If you go through a text of Scripture, look for specific words, and then you'll see where the, the author is going and then the points that he's trying to make. So look at the word that. That's very important. Paul's going to pray for specific things for the Ephesians. And here's what he's going to pray for, kind of like the big idea. He's praying for spiritual vision. Vision. So it's spiritual happiness, verses 3 to 14, 15 to 23. It's spiritual vision that they would see that they would have this illumination. I want you to look at verse 17. Notice verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul's saying there's this wisdom and it's discernment. And the spirit is capital S. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna give you discernment into the truths that he just said. So if you wanna learn election, <laughs> this was amazing at Harvest Group, because people are like, ah, I just don't, whoa, this is too deep. Yeah, it is too deep. We're, we have a finite mind. We're just not going to understand it completely and perfectly. But God will give you the discernment or the wisdom to be able to understand what you need to rejoice and be glory, you know, glorify God in your salvation, to be stronger in the Christian life. But you need the spirit of wisdom. And then he says something about this revelation here. And revelation is really this understanding of who God is. I mean, this is, this is a personal encounter with God. I am so against religion. You don't even know. I'm so against the spirit of religion because it keeps people locked up into this routine, this rote, uh, this mechanical, this I'm a, a mannequin. 
And God wants to break through all of that and cause you to go like, man, I'm just in love with my father. I'm in love with Jesus and I just love you, Holy Spirit. And my relationship with you is ongoing. It's vibrant, it's active, it's moving. But I find Christians are having a hard time with all of that. And he's in heaven just looking at you and longing for you and loves you and wants that relationship to be so warm and inviting and just personal. And for some reason, you're not experiencing that. Because maybe you got religion. Not a relationship. We look for two things at our harvest groups, and I look for these on Sundays, tears and laughter. Usually when there's tears, the Spirit of the Lord is moving in a very personal and profound way. And when there's laughter, there's joy. I look for those. We had tears and we had laughter on Thursday, didn't we? Dave, didn't we have that? Rhonda? I saw, I mean, they saw me crying. I had tears in my eyes. I don't cry that often. So you got asking for this. Paul's saying, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It, this, is, this is something the spirit of the Lord must give. I call it, like I said at the beginning of our message, baptisms. Lloyd-Jones called it baptism. Don't let that scare you. Don't think, oh, I heard a charismatic say that one time, baptism in the spirit. Baptism is an outpouring of the spirit of God. It's not the same as the filling of the spirit. The filling is an ongoing progressive thing, day to day to day to day. But the outpouring or the baptism of the spirit is what Paul's praying for here. He's praying that that truth that I just gave you from 3 to verse 14 would all of a sudden be poured out on you and then you would have this moment with God. It's just like, you love me that you chose me? That you gave me an inheritance? So how does he encourage them? Letter A. He wants to encourage them in three specific ways. That they're the people of God, verse 18 that they're the people of God, that you may know, look at it, verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope? Ask the question to the text. This is how you understand the Bible. Ask the question. Say, Paul, Holy Spirit, what do you mean by the hope? What is the hope that he's talking about? Well, certainly heaven, eternal life. That's part of it, but that's not everything. He's going back to eternity past before the foundation of the world, and he's going all the way to eternity future, and then everything in between. Election, redemption, inheritance. But there's more to that than that. He talks about a glorious inheritance. He's not talking about the inheritance that you and I get, which we do get. He's talking about the fact that he got you. That the Father has now you. He's got you. You're the people of God. Jesus said yes to the mission to come to earth to die for those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. So Jesus comes, he's successful in his mission, he'll always succeed. He comes and he dies for you and he redeems you and buys you back. He rescues you. And the father's going, yes. Jesus, you did that. Well done, my son. Because now I have, they're mine and I can enjoy them forever. That's the glorious inheritance. That's the hope of the calling. Do you know how many people in our world don't know God? They don't have a relationship, but you do? Isn't that cool? And we pray for them. We want them to know the same hope 
the same calling. Now, the reason why Paul is saying this, he wants to encourage them, is because they don't look at themselves like the people of God. They were slaves. They were in bondage. You had thousands of people going up to the temple of Diana. You talk about paganism. You talk about corruption in Ephesus. You talk about feeling enslaved and, and just this culture that was so hard and feeling alienated. And Paul says, no, you're the people of God. How encouraging to know that you belong to God. How encouraging it is to us to know that I'm adopted and you're adopted. Those Ephesian Christians needed to know that. And so don't we. You belong to God. Letter B, here's the other encouragement that Paul gives to them. It's in verse 19, the power of God. Verse 19, can you look at it with me? I'm gonna read it out loud. And he's talking about, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now remember, he's praying Holy Spirit, help them to understand the power of God. You're saying, well, why did they need to know the power of God? Because in that culture, it's hard. Listen, you can walk down the center of Reading, as hard as that may be, the unbelief, the corruption, the whatever. You can walk down those streets and be as confident as ever because the power of God is in you. They can walk the streets of Ephesus. They don't have to worry about that temple of Diana where all that sin was going on up on the hill there, but they were intimidated a little bit. He says, I want the Holy Spirit to bring a revelation about the immeasurable, what does this say? Immeasurable what? Greatness of his what? Of his power. It's kind of like this. Andy, would you hold the other side of this? Here's a, a measuring tape. And if you're, if you're used to using these, some people use these, right? Just hold that from there, brother. You don't have to walk over, all the way over here. But this is 25 feet. They're usually 25 feet, right? And so if I want to measure this room, don't, please don't let that go because that really does hurt when it comes flying back. So love me and don't let it go. All right, so that's as far as it goes. So I, I do not have enough tape to measure at least the width of this room. But this is what happens to us. This doesn't have the capacity to measure this room one way or the other. And this is what happens to us. We get so frustrated and we try to force something. I can try to force this thing to measure all the way to the wall. It's just not going to happen. And so some of you are like that with your Christian life. And you're really trying to figure out some of the things that Paul talked about. You're trying to figure out, you just lay that down there, brother. You're trying to figure out, how am I going to make it through what I'm going through? This situation is way too difficult. This life that God, you allowed to happen to me is so traumatic. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to to hold up underneath of this. And Paul saying, no, wait a minute. No, all the power that raised Jesus from the dead is now inside of you. You've got to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power and you're trying your best and you're frustrated because you're trying to do it in your own strength. Why are you doing that? Paul would say, don't do that. Because the spirit of the living God is going to show you how much power that you have to make it through that diagnosis, to make it beyond that wayward son or daughter. The loss of your job just recently, you're panicking. 
And you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold up underneath this. Power of God. Be encouraged, Ephesians. Be encouraged, Harvest Reading. And then let her see. Let her see the preeminence of God. Here we go to the rest of the verses at the end here. Watch. Watch what happens here. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power. Now watch this. He is El Elyon, Jesus God, is going over and above everything. He is preeminent, verse 21. He's gonna end the chapter with this. It's very important, a word of encouragement. Jesus is overall. What a great song that we sung earlier. He is far above all rule. Verse 22, and he put all things, look at it, under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus is over this church, amen? He's over this church. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna make it. And then verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all the preeminence of God. There's the encouragement. You're the people of God. You got the power of God. And God is over all. He's over it all. So we pray against anxiety in this room right now. We pray against fear. And that fear is going to be bound up and it's going to be rejected out of your life, no matter what it is. Can I ask you, can you please ask the Lord to make you more expressive, verbalize, move into people's worlds and space, take the word of God, encourage them, send them a note, a text, Tell them how much they're important to you. Give a word of encouragement. Pray over them. Lay hands on them. Go over their house. Help move a piece of furniture. Whatever. Express yourself. Let people know. Because if they don't know, don't ever expect that relationship to work. It will not. Maybe that's a word for marriage in this room right now. Expression. Encourage people. Don't suck the life out of others. When somebody comes near you, man, they just leave a better person. They leave, man, they just feel better. I just like being around them. Let's stand to our feet. Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. You are the word, and you came to earth. You're the living word, and then your word was put in on papyra. It was put on paper. It was put on in written form, and now we get a chance to look at it and Again, we say, Holy Spirit, that you would be the enlightener of our understanding, our eyes, our heart. Oh God, would you please, as Paul was praying, he was not praying for just the Ephesian Christians, but for all, all of us, that we would truly grasp the glimpses of the greatness of God in the gospel. And so Lord, would you just help us to open our mouth to people and say things that you lead us to say, words of encouragement, Oh God, I just don't want to settle into a cultural thing or a personality thing or maybe that's just the way my family has always been, excuse or whatever it is. Help us to get past all of that. We thank you, Lord, for this book. Chapter one, such a great chapter. Chapter two coming. Can't wait to get into chapter two. You have some really awesome things for us to know. But oh God, that you would not just put it in our brain but that you would help us in our behavior. 
that we wouldn't just hold on to academia, but we would have application of the word of God every single day, every time we come into the church to hear the preaching. So Holy Spirit, continue to do your work even as we sing this song. In Jesus' name, let's worship.